Welcome back, Prospects to Pros, the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler, along with my co-host Lance Zerline, episode number five of this season. Today, uh, plenty to touch on with uh, the performances around college football, plenty of uh, prospects we need to talk about, switch over to NFL, some some rookies, uh, notable rookie performances from week three uh, that we need to hit on as well, but I think we have to start with uh, the SEC. Uh, back now, uh, it's, it just felt like a little bit more of a complete college football Saturday, uh, a lot more prospects that are going to be making up the first round and the early rounds back on the field, so we can... Talk about Florida, that offensive explosion. We can talk about uh, LSU with so few starters back, uh, just not being able to slow down that Mississippi State offensive attack with Mike Leach, KJ Costello from uh, transfers from Stanford coming in, and uh, really, really impressing. So a lot of different places we could start. Um, but how about let's start with uh, with Kellen Mond, Texas A&M uh, quarterback who. This is a make-or-break year for him. You know, this is his fourth year as a starter. He, he's a player that had he was highly recruited. He's got a ton of talent, but needs to put it all together for NFL scouts to really buy in to him as a, a guy that has a chance to start at the next level. And you know, we just haven't seen him really do that yet. Uh, I, I don't know. From your early looks at Kellen Mond, uh, has he impressed you at all or the things you can hang your hat on? What, what are your thoughts, Lance, on Kellen Mond? It's funny. When you look at the numbers, they they look okay uh, over the last three years. And granted, this is this year you just have one game. So headed into this game, you know, from 2018, 2019, he had 44 passing touchdowns, eight interceptions. He'd gotten better with a completion percentage since, since Jimbo Fisher came in. Um, we, we have seen him get better with a lot of his accuracy. What we haven't seen, though, is we haven't seen him attack down the field with consistent, consistency. We haven't seen a level of dominance with his passing where he gets on a roll and just can exploit the intermediate throws. I mean, these, this is how you win in the NFL. To be an NFL quarterback, you need to be able to win the intermediate game. You can find a lot of guys who can dink and dunk, but eventually teams can start squatting on that stuff. They can take it away, and you've got to be able to win with intermediate throws. You have to be able to recognize what safeties are doing and and hit the ball down the field uh, on posts and, and some of the different wide receiver combination routes that are that are set up to stress corners and safeties. You've got to be able to read those and exploit them, and I don't think Kellen Mond is doing that. And so we talked about, you know, you brought up KJ, KJ Costello. Great week. Um, uh, Trask. Great week over there for for Florida. So two quarterbacks in the SEC who had really good weeks and who have some ability. Kellen Mond is in the group of SEC quarterbacks that scouts are watching, but this was not a good start for him against Vanderbilt. And I would agree with you. This is a year where he needs to elevate, where we need to see. I didn't think he elevated from 18 to 19. I didn't think 19 was an elevation. 20 needs to be that year where he says, hey, look, guys, I'm this kind of player, not the guy that you think you've known over the last couple of years. And if you have this many years in, you know, uh, to stay in state, Sam Ellinger, he's gotten better over time. Kellen Mond has to prove he's gotten better over time because Trask has and KJ Costello might be proven that we know his numbers are going to be bigger with Mike Leach. We know that for a fact. So I think Kellen Mond really needs to do that because he has elements of his game, Dane, that are going to excite teams, but he hasn't put it all together on a consistent basis. 
Yeah, he definitely has fans uh, around the league. Uh, he was yeah. a top-rated senior quarterback prospect, according to National uh, right. uh, NFS Scouting Service. So, you know, it, it's it's not a question of talent. It's there. It's just a matter of consistently getting better and proving that uh, he can do the things that are being asked to do of NFL quarterbacks. And I think you made a great point about his inability to get on a roll. And that's something that really showed on last year's tape was just the, the lack of confidence. Uh, you know, he, when there, these mistakes would pile up and it seemed like his confidence would just be shaken. Whether and was it, whether it was his fault or, or not, it could have been the drops. It could have been, uh, maybe just playing on the road. And that really affected him. He was not recognizing blitzers pre-snap. Uh, he, he's not making his reads, going through his reads, his progressions uh, in a timely manner. And, you know, these are things that KJ Costello, who has, you know, there, there are holes in his game, but from a confidence level, that's what NFL scouts love about Costello is the moxie, the intangibles, the intelligence, uh, just what he brings from a mental perspective, because he can bounce back from a mistake. He forgets it and he moves on. We saw that uh, against LSU over the weekend, you know, they were on a roll and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he throws an interception. Uh, then all of a sudden he fumbles, but he comes right back and he does not stop uh, pushing the ball downfield. And that's something that we just haven't seen from Mond uh, consistently. He's got the strong arm. He's got a little bit of some Kaepernick to him with that, that lean angular frame. And he, he's an athlete. He can move around a little bit. But yeah, from a consistency standpoint, just hasn't been there yet. The A&M did beat Vanderbilt over the weekend. Uh, Mond was 17 of 28, 189 yards, uh, one touchdown. It just wasn't a really impressive performance. Uh, and it's going to get even tougher uh, next week against Alabama. So uh, Mond, they had a tough schedule last year. They faced Clemson, they faced uh, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. So, you know, A&M really had a tough go at it. And this year, uh, you know, it's not going to get that much easier, but uh, it's time for him to step up and as a senior and show that, hey, you know, I, I do have starter potential at the next level. And, and if he's not able to prove that, then you know we're going to see guys like Trask and maybe even Ellinger. Uh, I know I, when I studied them over the over the summer, I gave higher grades to both Trask and Ellinger, uh, and so it's uh, it's kind of a make or break time for Mont. Yeah, I didn't I didn't love the grade that National Service put on Mont. I didn't think it was I I didn't think it was anywhere near um, a real representation. I'm I'm kind of with you on that, and I and I think Ellinger's you know a. a a day three pick at quarterback. So that kind of tells you a little bit about where I think Mond is right now, what he has to do now. Physically, he's got ability. When I look at quarterbacks, Dana, and I don't know, I'm kind of interested in your thought. The two things that I really need to see and that I'd really prefer to see from a guy who's going to be um, first or second round, you know, caliber quarterback, and that's an early, that's a potential early starter, is I want to see, you mentioned one of them, I really need to see poise. It's almost non-negotiable. If you do not have poise in college, you won't have it in the pros. Look at a guy like Nathan Peterman, who had a good year, um, his last year at, at uh, Pitt, and then take a look at what he did in the pros. As soon as he got shaken, he was a disaster. And you really need to have um, poise. And I'm using Peterman as an example, but I mean, th th this happens with higher quarterbacks who are drafted earlier than Nate Peterman was. I'm talking about quarterbacks who drop their eyes and they, and, and they're shaken by the situation. They're shaken on the road. They're shaken by turnovers, whatever they're shaken by the rush. I need to see guys who have 
a level of poise and confidence to their game, it, and you should be able to see it. It shouldn't be hard to find. You shouldn't have to look hard to find it. You should be able to see it in their actions, in their body language, in the way that they play. The second thing is I want to see somebody – who has a feel for what teams are doing, who knows where they want to go for the football. I think some of what we talked about with Mond is that he doesn't really he lets the he lets the he lets the play, the defense dictate to him as opposed to knowing what he's going to do based on the way that he's reading defenses pre-snap. And this goes for all quarterbacks. I want to know that a quarterback, especially one who has three years of starting experience, you need to have a great feel for your offense, and then you need to, I think, have an understanding of where you want to go at the football so that when you're in the chess match against a college defense coordinator, which I would say offenses are almost always in a position of advantage in the college game and in the pros defense coordinators, kind of it kind of switches, especially on young quarterbacks. But I think, Dane, I want to see you playing chess against the defense by the time you're a senior in college. I don't want you to still be – of course, you're still learning, but I want you to know where you want to go with the football, and I want you to stick it to the defense and put them on their heels. I don't want you to be on your heels as much. Yeah, and I think those are – if you're going to start scouting the quarterback position, those are two great places to start. And for me, some and I, it's almost a combination of the two, um, or you know, ha, has aspects of those those two areas. But when I started doing this way, you know, over ten years ago, and I started really diving in and, and formulating my process and everything, there was something that you know, just reading a lot, watching a lot of videos, and you know, Bill Walsh had this saying where. Uh, the thing that separated the good from the great quarterbacks was the ability to have that that spontaneous genius where you know it doesn't matter what's going on around you uh you know you're able to adjust and still make plays and that's that's what you need in today's NFL because 60% of the time the play is not going to happen the way you drew it up in practice whether it's a blitz whether it's a different coverage whether it's someone making a mistake on your own team uh, you know, whatever it is, 60% of the time, it's not going to go as planned. And so you have to be able to adapt and have uh, still, like you mentioned, keep that poise, but also understand what the defense is doing so you can make the appropriate adjustment. And so it's something being able to have that spontaneous genius where you can change your decision making, um, you know, be able to move target to target quickly without being panicked. Uh, you know, and still standing tall versus pressure, moving your feet with your eyes up and down the field. Uh, and then also when you when you scout these you know, these quarterback prospects, uh, it's important to really understand the situation, especially, you know, you want to judge them uh, in drop eight situations. So, you know, you're seeing minimal pass rush. Uh, you know, you're, he's comfortable in the pocket. How is he able to face that defense? And so it's, there's so many, obviously, it's the toughest position uh, to evaluate for so many different reasons. It is. And there, there's so many variables involved. And uh, But I think that, you know, f- what, what both of us just said, I think is a good place to start because it's 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 almost, yeah, non-negotiable. Because if you're not able to do it, uh, and, and that's why Joe Burrow, I think, was such a unique test case because the improvements that he made in some of those areas yep. from his junior year to his senior year you just don't see it very often. And, you know, it's it's something that was really impressive and something that I think, you know, some of these quarterbacks we've seen this year, uh, you know, Sam Ellinger, uh, he, you know, one of the things you want in your quarterback is you want him to be the most competitive guy on the team. 
Sam Ellinger checks that box. Yep. That toughness that he brings, that competitive toughness is off the charts, and that's certainly going to help him. And, I, you know, Ellinger I struggle with a little bit because I liked him more than I thought I would. Not uh-huh. first round, second round, but I thought, okay, if Jalen Hurts can go in the second round, Sam Ellinger, with a few improvements as yeah, a passer this a year as a point. senior, yeah. he could get into day two. You know, he could be possibly a top 100 guy for the right offense, the right situation, if he makes a few key improvements this year. And he looks like he's a little more confident ripping the ball downfield, uh, you know, against that uh, in that comeback against Texas Tech uh, over the weekend. But, uh, you know, there are some things that, you know, you're going to have to change your offense a little bit with Ellinger. So, I'm a little bullish on on Ellinger as a pro prospect. I'm definitely keeping an open mind to see what improvements he makes this year. Yeah, I think you have to. I want to get back to one thing that you said about spontaneous genius. And by the way, Ellinger is a guy that I think can play off schedule when it goes off schedule. Right. Um, but the spontaneous genius you talked about, which is not just you know extending plays, breaking a pocket, it's altering your plan of attack, which Joe Burrow definitely had that. It was amazing watching a transformation from one year to the next. The swagger was undeniable, but his ability to know where he wanted to go at the football was really terrific. And he's also self-aware of his limitations and his strengths. And he played to his own strengths. And obviously Joe Brady's um, offense did too. But but this is kind of showing up right now still with Joe Burrow. In all three games, he has played to his strengths. Now, I had um, I talked to Brett Veach after the Kansas City Chiefs drafted um, uh, Pat Mahomes, and I asked about it. I said, "What was you know?" It was kind of a surprise that they went up and picked him. Now, keep in mind, Pat Mahomes have not played a single game for the Kansas City Chiefs, and Brett Veach said, and I asked about you know how how he did on the board because I would imagine a guy coming from from his offense, from you know Pat Mahomes' offense, was going to struggle with an NFL board, you know, coming from where Cliff Kingsbury was at Texas Tech. And he said, you know, he didn't he didn't know the coverages. He wasn't great on the board because he just didn't know. It was something that he he hadn't been put through. But Andy Reid took him through everything and he said he said that not only did Pat Mahomes absorb it like a sponge, his ability to recall terminology, recall what his reads were, recall everything that he needed to recall in one day was unbelievable. And it sold the Chiefs on the fact that Pat Mahomes could get to a point where he could read those defenses and do what he needed to do. We knew we knew he had special arm talent. We knew he could do some things outside of the pocket. I I where I missed on him being a great quarterback was I was too worried about some of the chances he would take. But the reality is the chance taking inside of Andy Reid's offense once he had a little better talent and knew where he was going with the football has turned into genius. It hasn't turned into Jay Cutler taking wild chances with a great arm. It's turned into a quarterback who knows what he wants to do, has talent around him, and has the special ability ability um, because he has that spontaneous genius to do things on the move uh, as the play's rolling that other guys just just can't do and struggle with. And 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 there's a great example of you don't have to necessarily have it or see it on the college level. But teams behind the scenes need to have an example after talking to you at the combine or working you out that you can incorporate this, that you can become that on the next level. And I think, Dane, that's really when people talk about the system quarterbacks, 
the conversation really is, do they have the ability to go from the simplicity of a college offense to the complexity of an NFL um, offense against defensive coordinators looking to take away your strengths? Yeah, in full honesty, uh, that's where it's it's extremely tough for us on the outside looking in who, you know, we don't have the luxury of being able to sit down with these guys and fully understand how their mind works. And, you know, that's something that with Pat Mahomes, uh, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I, I missed on him as well. I, I think I had an early second round grade on him. You know, I, I don't feel as, as, you know, I'm kicking myself because, you know, when you watch him on tape, he's playing backyard football. And it's just hard to grasp how much, uh, you know, from a mental capacity, uh, you know, how much does he know? How much does he have the ability to learn? You mentioned the recall. That's something where from a, on a team level, uh, you know, they're able to find that out a lot better th- than we are. Uh, and so it's, but it's such an important part of the position. And that's, that, that's something that, uh, you know, credit to the Chiefs because, uh, you know, almost more than any other team, they recognize that and we're, we're willing to bet on it. So, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about Trask too a little bit. Who, I, you know, I, I, I liked. I, he was my top-rated senior uh, coming into the season, and uh, you know, there's no such thing as, or there, there won't be a Joe Burrow this year. Uh, a guy that elevates himself uh, from a you know fourth or fifth round pick up to the number one overall pick at quarterback. It's just, it's we might not, never see it again. But if there was going to be a somewhat of a 50% Joe Burrow or a 25% Joe Burrow, a guy that, you know, moves up a few rounds, I thought Trask could be that guy because of, you look at his background, not starting in high school and then being a first year starter last year and then, uh, you know, the improvements he could make. And I still have some, I think he has a ceiling uh, because I don't think he has necessarily the biggest arm. You know, I I, I would love to see him rip it a little more, uh, a little e- a little easier. But I think from a touch perspective, his understanding of where to go with the football, I think, is improved. I think Kyle Trask can can really help himself uh, this season if he's able to play like we saw on Saturday against Ole Miss. Yeah, I you know I'm curious who you like better, KJ Costello's potential, or if you if they were if they had stock, if you were going to buy stock, right. KJ Costello or Kyle Trask. If you're going to buy stock in where they would be drafted, not necessarily who they're going to be, but where they're they're where they would be drafted, um, whose stock whose stock would you buy first? Both of them have good size. Yeah, I think they they both have good size. Neither are you know great athletes. Uh, you know, they're I think they can be you know manageable uh, athletes in terms of moving in the pocket. But neither are great athletes. I, I think you know when you look at Costello uh, in talking to scouts back when he was at Stanford, uh, you know they they really loved his his moxie, his toughness. Um, he's a guy that he's going to throw a, a block out there. Uh, you know, the intangibles are just off the charts, but you know, I'm really eager to see how he can develop in this offense because when I watched him at Stanford, the ball placement was very up and down, uh, he, too frequently he's staring down receivers. Uh, he's leading defenders to the catch point, just way too many, you know, what are you doing type of decisions on that Stanford tape. And so in this, in that Mike Leach offense, where he's going to get the ball out quicker, uh, he's going to have a lot of uh, a lot of easier reads in terms of where he's going with the football, and so I think he has a chance to get better in that respect. I think I'd still lean Trask, um, just because I think he had. I've, I've seen, 
I've been more encouraged by what he can do with the football compared to Costello. But I tell you what, those intangibles, uh, those are going to carry Costello uh, much more than you know. I think a lot of us uh, realize with NFL teams. Yeah, I'm looking at – I actually wrote him up in the summer uh, after his 18 season, which was his best se- season. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I talk about eyes lead safeties into the food. Decision-making can be concerning, thrown into heavily trafficked areas, better anticipations needed. These are all are, these are all phrases that are very problematic. Um, needs to throw receivers open more. But what my little write-up, just at the very bottom, I had him as a as a potential third, fourth. I said, has size and NFL arm talent, but must prove he can win without having to rely on, on his placement throws to big bodies. He'll need to improve his decision-making and keep growing with anticipatory throws on first and second levels. Not a great athlete when play, break, play breaks down. So all that said, yeah, that sounds – He's going to have a, a pretty big year this year with Leach, I think. But um, with all that said, you know, when you have issues with anticipatory throws, ball placement, throwing into traffic areas, decision making, that's now, I will say Jordan Love did a lot of that last year. But typically, for a guy with KJ Costello's background, that's more like a fourth round pick, um, typically, because he does have size. And I assume he's going to be coming off a good year this year. But we'll see. Those are those are some guys. Kyle Trask, KJ Costello, two guys in the SEC, Kellen Mond. There's three guys in the SEC to keep your eye on. And of course, we talked about Sam Ellinger. He's another one to keep your eye on as well. And then when the Big Ten gets started, we'll have, you know, we'll have uh, fields to to take a look at. Trevor Lawrence is playing. Let me ask you this question about Trevor Lawrence. Let me back up. We'll, we'll stay with the quarterbacks. Let's say Trevor Lawrence gets through the season, and the Jets are a one-win team. Because I'm telling you now, I watched them against the Colts, and they are terrible. They are card-carrying terrible. Uh, uh, um, Mekhi Becton went out yesterday. Of course, there's no Le'Veon Bell right now, so that doesn't help. You lost Becton the left tackle yesterday during the game. But, I mean, Sam Darnold is on the run, on the run. The first question I'm going to ask, we'll ask two different questions to you. I'm going to pose two to you. The first question if Trevor Lawrence is there, they're dealing Sam Darnold, right? Uh, yeah, I think I think they have to, and I, I think it's. I, I know I'm going to sound like a Darnold apologist, but I, I mean, his at some point, you, you know, he just you need to get him help, and I don't think we've seen a quarterback be able to overcome the, the cards that he's dealt. I mean, you look at the receivers that he's throwing to right now i mean you're looking at what braxton barrios that's his top lawrence, receiver right now braxton yeah barrios. lawrence cager and undrafted free agents out there uh chris hogan i mean it's just it's 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 abysmal the offensive line is better than it was but the bar was so low that it's still a below average offensive line and then the coaching uh, it just seems like the coaching is not helping darnold at all so when you're deficient in those three areas a quarterback has no chance uh and his confidence looks gone and so for sam darnold and for the jets you know the the being able to have a kind of an amicable divorce seems like maybe what's best for everybody so yes i i 100 i think that if you know with what we know right now with the way things are going um you know if the jets have a chance at trevor lawrence that's going to be the pick i you know i just think it's i think it's really interesting sam flashed a play his touchdown pass he flashed an ability to extend a play and make a throw but i almost wonder if chris ballard is sitting there um 
in the suite or wherever in, in, in Lucas Oil yesterday, taking a close look at Sam Darnold, looking for intangibles, just looking for any keys, any signs. Because if that team finishes last and they take Trevor Lawrence, if you look up and down the rosters of different NFL teams who need quarterbacks, there's not a lot out there who, who are going to need quarterback who wouldn't potentially be in position to draft Lawrence or Fields if he comes out. But, you know, the Colts have a bridge quarterback right now in Phillip Rivers. I wonder if they aren't in position to draft one of the top guys, and they probably wouldn't be, if they would look at a guy um, like Sam Arnold, Darnold, and I wonder what he would cost them. Let me throw another scenario at you. What if the Jets are the first team or, or have the first pick? Is there any chance that Trevor Lawrence could opt to stay in college football and away from the Jets? I mean, you know, it's yeah. I I, I don't see that happening because uh, you know they're just. I think first of all, if the Jets have the number one overall pick, Adam Gase is safe to say he's no longer the coach. Correct. So you know we'll we'll see who who would be the coach, and obviously that that matters um, quite a bit in terms of a quarterback's development. Um, I don't think we talk enough about just how reliant quarterbacks are, especially young quarterbacks who are still, you know, learning how to play the game at an NFL level, how much they need a strong supporting cast. And it's, it's very easy to say, oh, well, just, you know, the great ones will overcome, the great ones will make it happen. But they need a supporting cast, whether it's uh, the coaching, the offensive line, the receivers. You know, you're not going to get all of that, but you need at least one, maybe two of those areas to, uh, you know, grow as a quarterback. And so if the Jets have a new coach in place, uh, you know, I think there's a good bet that that they're going to be in the right, moving in the right direction as an offense. Um, and so, you know, with Mekhi Becton anchoring that offensive line, they have a chance to get better. So I just, and it doesn't seem like that's kind of Trevor Lawrence's way he does things. I don't think you know, so either. That, that's just kind of not the way he attacks. And, you know, we talked about this last year with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And, you know, Joe Burrow's, I mean, he, he's he's getting his butt kicked out there right now. Uh, saw it on Sunday. Uh, it just, it, it against the Eagles, he took a ton of hits. And behind that Bengals offensive line, it's not going to get better anytime soon, especially on that right side. Uh, right guard, right tackle is just a mess for Cincinnati. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I, but when you look at Trevor Lawrence, you look at the character, um, you know, just the way he handles himself, the way he carries himself, I, I just can't see that happening. So uh, if uh, the Jets end up with the number one overall pick, I think there's, uh, you could take it to the bank. Trevor Lawrence, I think, is going to be a Jet next year. Yeah. You agree? I mean, disagree? Yeah, I would, I would agree. And then, and I would also say you get some draft picks, um, you know, by, by moving Sam Darnold, you actually, you actually could surround him with another a plug-in offensive lineman there, and maybe a wide receiver uh, with your draft picks you would get from dealing Sam Darnold. But I'm not, I'm not, right. I'm not off of Sam Darnold yet. But this is why I agree. You got to have guys like Joe Burrow who had that level of toughness because Joe Burrow's getting hit. But you know what? He still went out there and delivered touchdowns, a couple of them to T. Higgins. And Higgins looks like his dude now. It's not A.J. Green. It's T. Higgins in terms of that body type of players. Um, and so it was It was interesting to see the two rookies, T. Higgins and Joe Burrow, hook up for two touchdowns yesterday um, for the Bengals. I always w- like watching you know some of these rookies to, to, to see where they pop up. I'll give you another one. Two guys who were undrafted. Um, how about James Robinson? 
undrafted free agent and you know you know just like I do undrafted free agents at running back you know they can they can be successful all the time but I'll be honest I didn't think I didn't think he was fast through the hole I I thought he sometimes did a little bit too much dancing in the hole instead of hitting it downfield James Robinson has been a godsend. You got rid of a guy who apparently wasn't great in the locker room or was was one of the players that they wanted to get rid of to change culture in Jacksonville and Leonard Fournette. And look what you do. You plug in a James Robinson, and this kind of gives credence to the argument that the the heavily analytics-based evaluators talk about with you don't need to pay or you don't need to draft running backs. I'm sure they're saying, ha-ha, look at James Robinson. Right. And James Robinson won't be, uh, he's not the first, he's not going to be the last when we talk about these late round or undrafted running backs who go to a right situation and are able to perform. And it's really, I don't, I don't think it's a surprise when you look at James Robinson, he's been productive everywhere he's been. He had over 9,000 yards uh, of rushing in high school at almost 4,500 yards rushing in college. Uh, He's just been productive everywhere. And I, what I really liked about him is I think you're right because he's he's a little he's quicker than fast he's not a guy with a ton of burst uh, but he just he's a proven workhorse and I really liked his vision and his determination as a runner uh, really I thought that consistently created positive yardage so this is a guy who I mean he took punishment over his career uh, and he's not a guy that's necessarily elusive. But because he has the vision, because he can anticipate a little bit and understand uh, you know, where uh, the, the holes are going to open up, he runs behind his pads, he runs tough. I, you know, He's a guy I gave a, a late fourth-round grade to. I was very surprised he went undrafted. Uh, but you know, given the opportunity, given the chance, uh, he's, he's taken it and he's performing well. So uh, you know, the running back position, you know, there's anybody that says running backs don't matter, I, I mean, I, I just – it's, I scratch my head because it it doesn't make any sense. Um, now, it, is there a context that's required to a conversation like this? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Alvin Kamara, what he means to that Saints uh, offense, that's, you know, you don't just replace that. Um, and, you know, you can go up and down. There's several, uh, you know, there's, there's levels of running backs. Now, you get to a certain level and guys are replaceable uh, with uh, James Robinson's of the world, so the, the late round or undrafted guys. So, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting discussion. Uh, you know, obviously it's a position that's reliant, heavily reliant on what's going on around them. Is the offensive line doing their job? Is the quarterback giving them enough help through the air where, uh, you know, taking a little bit of pressure away from the box? So it, it's, it's definitely a nuanced discussion. But uh, what kind of grade did you have on Robinson coming out? I was back in, uh, back into the draft. I said reliable runner with good feel for run lane development, but just average burst. His feet, finesse, and vision allow him to probe from gap to gap against conference competition. But tighter NFL running lanes mean he'll need to be more physical and more urgent to succeed between the tackles. The college production's unlikely to translate to into the pros, but he's well-rounded enough to compete for a back-end roster spot if he runs to his size and can play on special teams. Now, I had a source tell me, his quote was, it was a Midwest scout that I know, he said, no question he's feeding on inferior competition, but I think he'll be the kind of guy who elevates his play when he gets into camp and is competing for a job. I know Alonzo Highsmith, I had a conversation with him, with Highsmith before the season started, and he said, if you got a fantasy team, get this guy on your team. He goes, he was my favorite, one of my favorite running backs in the draft last year, and he is going to be a, a really good back for Jacksonville. And I thought, yeah, whatever. You know what? 
I mean, you and I think your fourth round grade was really ended up being a good grade on him. And um, I was back into the draft and I was obviously too low on him. Well, and it's all about opportunity, right? I mean, it's we give these grades and some of these guys, I think, might make us look smart if they had the opportunity. They just never get that opportunity. And so credit to uh, James Robinson for, uh, you know, really taking advantage of that. Um, Now, not to backtrack too much, but I wanted to get your opinion, too, on Joe Douglas, Uh, the GM of the Jets, talked about. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, would he opt out? You know, the the ownership discussion with the Jets is something that is uh, tough to really decipher. But I I've been a fan of, of of Joe and what he's been able to do in a short time there. Um, you know, I I, I like Mike McCagnan as well, and obviously that didn't work out uh, nearly as well. Uh, you know, Mike, I think he's he's a scout at heart. Uh, he's a guy that was uh, you know put in more work than just about any other GM. But I'm a fan of Joe Douglas, and I think what what he can do there should give any Jets fan, Jets draft pick, should give them a little bit of optimism moving forward. Yeah, I don't I don't put really any of this on Joe Douglas. I mean, he right. did what he he did what he could do um, with this last draft. I think he's just in a position where the cupboard is kind of Adam Gase. Uh, could end up being one of the problems right now. So I think that's obviously a concern. But I think when you look at what the Jets have to do. The main thing is they just have to continue to build on free agency. They're going to have to, you know, tighten up the roster. And I mean spots 30 through 53. You got to keep on making the back end of your roster better and build all the way to the front end of your roster. Um, and I, you, know, you look at Denzel Mims, we're going to find out about Mims. Ashton Davis has already played a couple games. LaMichael Pirine was out there on the field. You're going to have to, um, I think there's some, uh, Braden Mann was a good pick, the punter. You're going to need him a lot. But, you, you right now. I can't judge anything with with uh, Joe Douglas. I like Joe Douglas. I think Joe Douglas is a good guy to have at the helm over there. But you are going to be, to me, a minimum of two off seasons away from seeing real improvement. And it may take a full three off seasons, meaning free agency and draft, before you get into a really competitive stretch. Unless you start to hoard picks like Miami did, because Miami and the Raiders, I well. Hard to say Raiders because they got wiped out in the second half yesterday. But I do like that idea of hoarding the picks, hoarding the picks. But at some point, unlike the unlike the Browns under Sashi Brown, who just seemed to have a hard time sitting down and making picks that would that would alter the landscape of the team, you are going to have to the picks. And I think um, you know, Joe Douglas really can't afford to miss on rounds one through three over the next two years because he's got to he's got to build it up through the draft and then finding additional picks. I think is going to be critical. Yeah, no question. A few other quick hits uh, from the college football uh, weekend. Alabama took care of Missouri and Jalen Waddle. He, he made a strong case why he should be uh, you know the wide receiver two in this class behind Jamar Chase, uh, and that's. I mean, he went out, he had, what, eight catches, 134, two touchdowns. And, you know, I think Waddle is kind of labeled as that, uh, you know, that rugs type of receiver where it's all about his athleticism. It's all about the speed. And while there's no question that's a big part of his game, he made a catch uh, on Saturday where he went up and attacked the football down the field, took two big hits, came down with it. 
Uh, showed a little bit more as a route runner. I mean, he looked like a more complete receiver uh, in, uh, against Missouri on Saturday. So I, him and Mac Jones seem to have a connection there. I'm, uh, I, Waddle came in at my, as my number two receiver on my top 50 board behind only Chase. I tell you what, I, I think he's, he's on his way to cementing that if he builds off that uh, season opening performance uh, against the Tigers. Yeah, I think you make a really important uh, distinction. And for Waddle, I wasn't as high as you are on him, but only because I hadn't seen him do some of the things that he already showed in Missouri. He was simply playing in a role that Alabama needed him to play in that particular offense when you had Smith and Jerry Judy and Ruggs. Now all of a sudden when he's allowed to stretch out those legs and be more versatile and and do more things, well, we're starting to see that, oh, wait a minute, he might be able to do all these different things that you need to see, the route running, the hands, the ability to work all three levels of the field. So um, I'm kind of with you. I think Waddle, this is a big year for him because he's going to get to do some things this year that he wasn't allowed to do last year just because of how deep they were. And I think that's really going to help his stock. We know he's explosive. We know he can hit the big plays. We know he can catch and run. He's one of the fastest guys in college football. Um, This is really – going to be a year where I think Jalen Waddle, I think you're right on that one. I think he's going to cement his position by showing you that he's capable of being more than a gadget guy and more than just a catch and run type specialist. Yeah. And there'll be no shortage of, uh, of candidates there. Rondale Moore opting back in at Purdue. It'd be yeah. great to see him back on the field here. Uh, you know, Rashad Bateman uh, is trying to get back on the field. So uh, it should be, it should be interesting to see some of the, all these receivers and, you know, speaking of receivers, you mentioned T Higgins uh the the rookie in Cincinnati he's the only uh rookie receiver uh you know we talked so much about that receiver class he's the only rookie receiver with two touchdowns uh catching the football so far so that Burrow to Higgins connection is really showing through Justin Jefferson had a huge game for the Vikings where'd that come Uh, from out of nowhere they they fed him he had I think six targets combined the first two weeks he had nine targets uh, on Sunday, and it, it really showed. Justin Jefferson, who uh, was a first-round pick, I'm not sure the Vikings expected him to be there. Uh, I think that they expected him to go to the Philly one pick earlier, but I, they were certainly happy, and I think Kirk Cousins was as well. I, like that combination, that, that they it didn't end with a victory, but still, they need Jefferson to step up with uh, with Diggs no longer on that uh, wide receiver depth chart. Yeah, and I thought he might step right in, and then after the first two games, I thought, oh, maybe it's not going to be the case. Maybe it's going to take a while, and all of a sudden, when they started feeding him, he just went crazy um, in that game, and really, it's just a matter of getting Kirk Cousins to trust you, because that's mm-hmm. that's really you know the entire thing. I think when you look at Henry Ruggs, what's happening with Ruggs, another rookie season, I mean, another you know rookie that we're, we're talking about, I really struggled with Ruggs. Um, I struggled with how Ruggs would do with with Derek Carr because he's not a guy right. that really tends to look down the field, and so far it's that's that's been the case. So far, Ruggs has not uh, been able to to really get it going up to this point. So um, we'll see how he ends up doing. I think once he gets a quarterback who can really make things happen, um, Ruggs didn't didn't play this week, but um, I don't think did he play. I, he was questionable. I didn't see if he. I, I didn't. See I know he had. I know he didn't uh, hit the Raiders st- game. Yeah, he didn't hit the stat chart. So I'm not even okay. sure if he uh, if he played. But uh, Jerry Judy, Ruggs, Jefferson, and then uh, who did you mention? Who was the first? Oh, T. Higgins. Those are all the four that right, I think right. we're going to really uh, keep a very close eye on. 
Well, I mean, yeah, and who would have thought, you know, Jerry Judy, he leads uh, all rookies in drops so far, you know, and then you've got uh, C.D. Lamb, who leads all rookies in catches. C.D. Lamb, yeah. Doesn't necessarily have the yards per catch uh, just yet. Hey, let me ask uh, you something. If you had Jamar Chase, since he's not going to play, if you threw Jamar Chase into that deep, deep draft last year, is he the first wide receiver off the board? I think so. I mean, we didn't, you know, we talked so much last year how it was such a loaded class, but we didn't necessarily have that that top 10 pick that, uh, you know, that guy that was, you know, the, whether it was, uh, you know, your Julio Jones, your AJ Green, or, you know, that guy that would be a no doubt top 10 pick. I think Jamar Chase can be that guy just because he can do so many things for you. And, you know, it's, uh, for me at least, he would have been the first receiver. How about you? Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. Um, I like Judy. I like Lamb. I liked Ruggs' potential. Um, Jefferson, you know, got drafted about where I had him. But I just think Chase's ability to win the ball in the air, he's got great speed, good size. His ability to win the ball in the air, his ball skills are just special. And, yeah, I'm a – It's natural. It's uncanny. It is. It it is. I heard something on a broadcast yesterday. This is great for scouting. Um, This is a great little scouting tool. And uh, you can hear this on broadcast. That's why sometimes you, you listen to broadcasts and you pick up little nuggets. Charles Davis talked about this on the Texans and um, uh, Pittsburgh Steeler broadcast. They were talking about Chase Claypool. And he mm. said that when they were talking to Mike Tomlin about Chase Claypool, that he said, you, catching the football should not be a chore. It should not be a chore. It should be something that is almost an afterthought for you because you're so good at it. And he said – and and basically, Charles Davis told him, Tomlin said, if you fight the football at all, if it's not natural for you, that's a non-starter for the Steelers. A guy like Judy, who struggled with some drops, who it wasn't always natural, he might have not even been on the Steelers' board. And they said Chase Claypool had such natural hands, and it looked like it was just an extension of who he was as a player, uh, the natural hands. That's something that the Steelers, who are kind of a guarded team in terms of their process, the Steelers consider that a non-starter at the receiver position. You must have natural hands where they can count on you, throw in and throw out to not only make the play, but it gives you a better chance to make the contested catch as well. And they were he was talking about that spe- specifically with Claypool. Well, I think that's the case with, with Chase as well. I think Chase has a lot of that too. Okay, yeah, and that's, that's, that's a great point. And that's something, yeah, you've seen. I mean, they drafted James Washington, and that was – that was what he was known for at Oklahoma State, the strong hands, the ability to go up and get it. Um, you know, you look at Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, same type of deal. I don't, I mean, Deontay Johnson, I don't know if he necessarily fits that. Um, I don't, you know, he had a few more drops, but I yep. mean, he's just so, so loose and athletic with the ball in his hands. He's, he's a fun player. And I mean, I, let's stick with wide receivers here. And so many people, uh, I got a lot of feedback on the, the our DK Metcalf discussion uh, last week, kind of revisiting uh, a, a scouting report, revisiting uh, you know the process of a of a, of a player uh, as a prospect now in the pros. Alan Lazard is a uh, wide receiver who we we saw last night in that in that game for the Packers. Surprising, he was a part of the 2018 NFL draft. Had a great career at Iowa State. Surprisingly, went undrafted. At least I was surprised. I, I thought. Now I didn't think he'd be a second, third round pick. I thought he'd be a day three pick. And he just he had such a solid career uh, for the Cyclones. He had a catch in forty eight straight games, and that was when Iowa State had just uh, they were throwing anybody out there at quarterback. So uh, for him to have that production, he's a well built guy, six five, two hundred twenty seven pounds, and ran a four five five at the combine. So 
He's not a burner, not a blazer, but I didn't think he was slow either. The biggest worry I had with Lazard was just his inability to separate at will. He didn't have that suddenness to him. Yeah. But you're talking about a really tough guy. Uh, Blocking, no problem. Play special teams, no problem. There's just so much he had going for him that I I was surprised he slipped all the way through the draft, but I'm not surprised uh, he's on a team now and and making some plays, especially in the red zone. So good for Alan Lazard. What kind of grade did you have on him in that 18 class? I had uh, at that time as a 5-3-2, which would come out to basically – a five nine, which would be uh, a backup. Um, I projected him to go on the fourth, fifth. Personally, I thought he was more of a fifth, sixth. Personally, because of the same things you said, the exact same things. My biggest concern is he didn't have juice. He couldn't. He wasn't quick out of his breaks. The short area stuff wasn't great. It was labored. It was sluggish. I didn't think he'd be able to uncover against tight man. So I thought, well, I mean, if he's not going to be able to get open. This is going to really be difficult for him. And I even thought maybe moving to a pass catching tight end, you know, more of a big slot might, might work for him because he's great with contested catches. He's incredibly strong. He's incredibly tough. And you loved all that. You love all the physicality. You really love that. And I really, I said, uses elbows, shoulders, hips, hands to shield defenders from his catch point. That's the kind of guy he is. Now, I think the big difference here, Alan Lazard has become a player for the Green Bay Packers with Devontae Adams out. And I think one of the reasons is his quarterback. And this is where it matters. I've seen so many wide receivers who, I think there is a group, a big group of wide receivers who you get with Tom Brady, you and of course I'm talking more in their prime, but you get with a Tom Brady, you get with an Aaron Rodgers, you get with a Russell Wilson. There's certain quarterbacks who can really take a back-end talent and turn them into legitimate roster talents where if those same guys went to Mitch Trubisky, went to Sam Darnold, went to uh, Jacksonville, whatever the case may be, all of a sudden, when you don't have as favorable a situation with quarterback, you don't make it. There's times where I think back end running backs and back end wide receivers, it really kind of is luck. It's a combination of luck of the draw with what your offense and who your quarterback is. And then number two, do you have something that you can hang your hat on? For Lazard, it's toughness. It's it's con- contested catchability. He could hang his hat on a special. My dad told me this. With uh, undrafted free agents, when he had he picked up Ramon Foster for the Steelers, and he and I'll never forget he told me Lance and he was talking about offensive linemen, but I think it's pertinent for every position. Go find something they do really well, even if you have areas that they don't do something. If they have something that they're really good at, and for Ramon Foster it was strength once he got his hands on you as an offensive lineman, they always have a chance depending on the situation, especially for undrafted free agents. When you look at Lazard. Not only was he productive in college, he's competitive as all get out. And a a lack of competitive nature can kill you in the NFL. A great competitive nature can give you a long NFL career. And that's the truth. Yeah, and that's that's great knowledge right there. And something that... It's there's proof on on the field every single Sunday of that. And Lazard, last night, six catches, 146 yards, a touchdown. uh, Of his six catches, five... Uh, resulted in a first down. So yeah, with Devontae Adams out, you wondered, okay, who who is uh, Rodgers going to throw to? And uh, Lazard stepped up for the opportunity and uh, took advantage of it. So uh, yeah, a a great situation there uh, for him. And the quarterback makes a a big difference, no doubt. So uh, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for uh, today's episode. Uh, Lance, uh, at Lance Zerline on Twitter, 
I'm at DP Brugler. You can catch us next week uh, for another Prospects to Pros.